Hello and welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Andy. Hello. Duncan. Hey. And Jeff. Yellow. I was trying to think of a clever intro bit, but I'm still kind of worn out from our huge monster list, even though that was, at this point, several episodes ago. Uh, anyway... The beginning of the anime season is long past at this point, more than halfway through. And to celebrate that, I don't think we're talking about anything that's currently airing. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) what actually is important is that I finally finished Space Brothers. It's been well over a year of me watching this show. Congratulations. Yeah, I just sat down and watched like 10 episodes a a night for one weekend. Is this a longer longer hate fuck than you and um, Railgun? Or is it about the same time? Oh, I mean, it's 100 episodes, so or 99 episodes, so it took me a long time. Um, sure, but you were ragging on Railgun for what feels like a millennia. Well, some of us have more finely honed perceptions of time than others. <laughs> uh, anyway, the thing with Space Brothers is I was started watching it thinking that it was going to be like Planetes or Moonlight Mile or any of the other kind of near-future dudes in space shows that kind of is an established micro genre of a uh, seinen stuff and in fact it was a shonen like power up get stronger learn more about the space program very 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 near future and it just never really had any consequences or any risk except for one uh one plot in the latter half where the younger brother has had PTSD from getting trapped uh, in a moon crater where no one could find him and having to like walk his way out with a damaged suit. Um, and so he was getting panic attacks from going back in the suit and they were trying to get him uh, I mean, that get him kicked like out of NASA. In, it was good. It's the one good part. And like at it, some point he's finally like, it also I sounds like a need rip to... off of the, the, an entire, of the arc from Planetes though. Because that <laughs> exact same thing happens. If you if what you're thinking, Duncan, is man, I that sounds a lot like Planetes. If you were to watch Space Brothers, you'd think that a lot. It's just kind of like the kiddie version. I feel bad for like ragging on it because I know John really likes it, but I also think that John watched it a long time ago and with much more innocent eyes. Where like it is just like the problems are usually solved by trying hard or by talking to someone and letting them know that you're trying hard. Um, and so it's nice to have the PTSD thing be such a major plot arc and. Spoilers for the end, he even though he passes the uh, the like test that's supposed to clear you of any PTSD symptoms, uh, the board of directors still wouldn't readmit him as an astronaut. So he switched over to the Russian uh, cosmonaut program, and the end, the end of the show is like, oh, he's going to go up with the Russians instead. Uh, not as like a bad thing, just as like, oh, there's always a way into space if you really want to get into space. But wait, <laughs> which wait. Is a... So he didn't, but I thought. So he did want to go back into space, even though he had PTSD. Yes. But then he was cleared of PTSD. Yeah. Okay. He was clear. He did this thing where, like, whenever he was put in the suit, he would panic. And so he had a an acquaintance from the Russian cosmonauts who walked him through. There's, like, a nice thing where his, his daughter was a ballerina who broke her ankle. And they had to, like, kind of step her back up into full-scale performance. And this was a, sort of the same thing where he would just walk across... Uh, the room wearing an open-faced helmet and then he'd walk across the room like wearing like increasingly like heavy and more enclosing costumes until finally he was able to walk across the room in a spacesuit and then he he did like the underwater test in front of the board of directors but his heart his heart rate um 
spiked briefly when an accident in the test uh, scenario happened, an unplanned one. And the board director's like, yeah, I mean, there's a long metaphor that sounds like something out of Gundam or Legend of Galactic Heroes where where he's like, one drop of poison in wine makes the wine poison. And <laughs> it, like, would you rather drink this unpoisoned bottle of wine or this bottle of wine with one with one drop of poison in it? Uh, and it was a pretty compelling argument made that way. So I enjoyed that. I enjoyed, uh, Hibito, the younger brother trying to recover from PTSD after like a horrific moon accident, but the rest of it, just like the different characters, his older brother, Muta, who is kind of like unlikable and a bit unlucky and clumsy, but he's really trying to go to space to catch up with his brother and he never really encounters a lasting issue he's with a bad team and then they go through something that makes them you know more coordinated and happy together and that's that um and god the last few episodes we're we're checking in on like one of his <laughs> one of his friends from astronaut candidacy school um is going to have another kid so we get a whole episode the fourth from the last episode of the show is just like, man, how does he feel about having a kid? Even though he's like spending a lot of time training to be an astronaut. And I'm like, don't we have real storylines to be wrapping up? Not like having a kid is not a big deal, but (laughs) I mean, I mean, uh, space brothers was, I think kind of cursed with the similar thing that you get with Shonen manga, which is they were doing a constant release cycle right up until the, uh, last episode, and so it was like a hundred episode, hundred weeks back to back, yeah, pretty much. Which is why I think I dropped out when they're in the desert, and then there was like a fourth filler arc where it was like they looked at a hat on a cactus, and it was like, oh, this reminds me of the time thirty episodes ago, and I'm like, oh, fuck this noise. So yeah, uh, it's very, it's a very shonen, shonen structure of like constantly flashing back, constant like side routes to see what supporting characters are doing with their free time. Yeah. Like, um, okay. it was nice to see people that you've met before, but also it was just like, it's called space brothers, not space. Brothers some people that spa- the space brothers know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, and uh, I, I did. I mean, yeah, I, it doesn't surprise me that it didn't end in a very good place. Cause I'm pretty sure it ended just when the manga was sort of not, I guess it's not, it's still going the manga. So I guess there's some, or maybe it ended recently, but yeah, maybe we'll get a season two just to wrap it up. I I, I can't imagine it. it. It ended in a fine place. It ended with with Hibito going over to the rush to the to the Russian space program and Muta basically being told that like he he'd be on one of the next flights up and that and it was you know as good a place to stop as any. I feel like so is yeah. the Russian space program positioned as like sinister the way it would be nope, if it was nope, like nope everyone's friends there are, there are no bad guys besides bureaucrats who haven't heard how much you care about space <laughs> the Russians are just simply another program like everyone's cooperating everyone is fully invested in the space program it's just literally that that Hibito made an enemy on one of the NASA board directors who just goes to another space program which is who's happy to have him because he's an accomplished person who's made multiple moon missions um and yes you're right uh andy space Wars is still running at 37 episodes at 37 volumes wow. so okay. wow. so yeah yeah i mean yeah that's a sh- i mean that's a shame but also <clears throat> it's not a surprise that it ended in a really janky location or time i wouldn't call it janky i mean i, I it's a fine place to leave off like it would have been nice for the show to end with both of them on the moon, but I assume that is where the manga will end, and they have not finished the show yet, or not finished the manga yet. So, 
So yeah, uh, probably wasn't worth me sticking it out for over a year, but now I can continue my undefeated streak. And <laughs> there were some nice parts. I really did enjoy the PTSD arc because that was exactly the kind of thing that I was complaining about to John months ago. That like, man, no one ever like suffers permanent damage from their failures. If you fail, it's just a prelude to you having a greater triumph in the next episode because it's a shonen type show. Uh, but yeah, it was it was interesting. It's definitely probably I'd rather even watch Moonlight Mile again than than uh, Space Brothers. And Moonlight Mile literally just does leave off in the middle of a plot arc because they didn't get a season two suddenly. Kind of a similar situation to what happened with uh, Shigurui, where it just like stops <laughs> and there's nothing else. As you can tell they didn't even expect it coming. Handily, Planetes ends at a, a good point, a very, um, very def- definitive end to one person's emotional arc. Mm-hmm. And that show is all about the damage, like the people carrying their damage mm-hmm. um, as they do this incredibly dangerous and complicated and high power job that is being an astronaut. Which is unfortunate that I <laughs> that I came in thinking I'd get like, oh, cool, a show like Planetes. It's 100 episodes. It's like, oh, no, it's like the <laughs> it's the kitty version. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. But I do think that bar the ending, it's like the last, I mean, I dropped off at episode 70, but up to, for the first 50 episodes, which is what, like two cores or so, there's some quite strong stuff in there still. Like the actual process and examination and sort of, um, teachings, the way that you actually get in is all, I feel, pretty accurate. And then they even yeah, got in... An it's a- very detailed. Yeah, and that's interesting. And they even got in an actual space guy in one of the flashbacks. There was a talk with Mutta goes and... Mutta and Hibito go and listen to a talk done by mm-hmm. a space uh, astronaut. That's the real astronaut that um, actually comes in. So there, it's some cool shit. Like, there's good stuff in there, but it's just a shame yeah, that for- it... Trials for the first really two bad. cores, they have like pictures of like astronauts were sending in pictures to the show, and so they were showing them off at the end of every episode, and yeah. then they just stopped doing that. It replaced it with this weird cartoon where all the characters are animals, like Hibito's a rabbit, his name's Hibbit. Um, I didn't even remember that. It's at the very end. It's one of those things where like if you if you just go to the next episode after the credits start playing, then you'll miss it because it's after right, right, right. it's after everything except for the. Uh, the final the the next episode preview but yeah it just it just runs out of things to to say a lot and the second time there's like uh-oh we've seen the recruiter shortlist and it, and muta's not on it what's he gonna do he might not get to go to space and i'm like he's gonna get to go to space. what are you talking yeah. about yeah. there's gonna be some sort of like mini crisis and he's going to show his true colors and another character is going to freak out and that character will get bumped off the list and muta will be put on it because that <laughs> happened repeatedly and, like, I get it. He's the main character. But also, like, I'm not stupid. I mean, I guess I'm, I guess if it's for kids, like, yeah. But I'm not stupid. I know that he, he's the you, – you can't have the uh, a show called Space Brothers. And one of the Space Brothers has washed out of the program and has gone back to his job as an automobile engineer. It, it, I mean, that'd be fucking great. That would be amazing. it's not the kind of show it is. I, I, it, is uh, it is weird that you called it a kid show because – it it doesn't on the surface look like a traditional with square scare quotes around it kids show because it is yeah and it airs in a scene in trade but like it's def it yeah, definitely yeah is yeah it, like it, airs, with... it airs like early six seven o'clock slot I think it did which is like Naruto Shonen Jump area so yeah, yeah. it totally is a kids show um, or young teen anyway 
Moving. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, well, speaking of young teen stuff, but I don't think anything else that we have besides the other thing that I finished, because I finished two long running shows. I'll cover one? this quickly. Yeah. Uh, Those Who Hunt Elves is kind of, is at least you... juvenile, juvenile in the, in the, <laughs> figurative meaning of, of the word <laughs> rather than talked like this about this before i thought you talked, finished it a while back no no we talked we talked yeah. about it last march so it's taken me literally almost a year to watch to watch those who hunt elves i don't have much to say it still continues to be better cast than you would think the art's terrible it's in the bottom half of like mid to late 90s uh sane and animation style uh I really enjoyed, and this is the main thing I bring it up, the the episode 13, the like break after the first core, is really interesting because they come up with this idea that because all of these weird anachronisms and like non-fancy things are coming in, and you just think that's just because, like, oh, it's just a world that doesn't make sense. It's like, oh no, actually the uh, the three people and their tank from Japan are causing this like reality disruption and the fantasy world is adjusting by bringing in more like modern japanese stuff remind me to compensate. What the story of this show is again. oh you don't know <laughs> uh it's easy andy uh it's called those who hunt elves and it's about uh-huh. those who hunt elves uh no <laughs> these of these three people we find we meet them in the beginning of the show they've been teleported to a fantasy world where <laughs> the spell to send them back has by some accident been scattered across the world and is tattooed on the body of an unknown number of elves and so they just have to go through the entire fantasy world and sequentially strip each elf to try to find all the pieces of the spell to send them back it's basically golden kamui (laughs) (laughs) okay oh i never thought of that it's weird (laughs) i don't know the story to golden kamui either so you you missed out like the five episodes we spent talking about it i I actually think i did just replace fantasy with- world and tanks with uh, Hokkaido and food. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but they have a ta- they have a tank. They have a Japanese uh, last generation Japanese tank that they drive around. It gets possessed by a cat spirit, but before that, they use gasoline for it to power it. Of course, it. of course. Uh, yeah. There's an episode where they run out of toilet paper, and then they discover that there are these tiny little bears that eat bamboo and poop toilet like perfect rolls of toilet paper. Which <laughs> actually figures into the resolution of the show. Yeah, it's just like. That's the funny thing is, like, there are all these anachronisms, and it's just like, oh, it's a typical, like, irreverent fantasy setting, kind of Discworldy, uh, which is kind of an insult to Discworld to bring it up in the same breath as those who hunt elves, but you get what I mean. And there's a cool thing where they get, like, they get arrested by the elves at the end of the, the first core, and they're brought into this this law court run by the elves, and they're like, yeah, our world is changing because the presence of of three people with all these expectations for like how society works and how the world works. is like literally causing reality to warp around them. And, and at one point the, what the, the prosecuting attorney is like, we don't even have law courts. This is a new thing that just came out of nowhere. Uh, <laughs> what so, is this law you talk about? Yeah. They're like, we, yeah, we usually do like arbitration. Like it's, 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 and it was really clever. And I was like, Oh wow. They actually made the anachronisms like serve the plot in an interesting way. But then, um, the dumb, violent guy like yells at the sorceress while she's doing the spell after they found all five pieces of the spell, and the spell shatters into a hundred and a uh, hundred thousand pieces, and so they have to go all over the world again. And it Jeez. basically just ends there again. They they were definitely stalling as if they'd get like more cores, which is funny because this is such a dirt cheap production. Besides the voice talent, which, as I said in the last 
uh, podcast we talked about this a year ago has a lot of like people who just had a big role in Evangelion. Uh, so it's been it's been it was a fun time. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it probably more than Space Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, sometimes you just want to eat some it garbage. Just, it's good. Well, it just it looks bad, and a lot of the performances are very dumb and broad. But it occasionally does funny stuff, and it has it's putting more effort into the premise than you would think. And it's almost never particularly horny, which is very weird because it is a show entirely about stripping women naked. And then having them do the thing where they like put their yeah, forearm over their yeah. nipples while going Kya! so <laughs> screaming about how they'll never marry. No, there weren't any of those jokes either, which is huh. too bad and and fine, I guess. I don't know. Uh, so yes, I am completely free of every long term watch project I've I have sent except for uh, Urusei Yatsura, which I'm at the the first season. I'm making scare quotes, listeners. First season <laughs> mark, which is 52 episodes. And I might stop there for a while. I enjoy Rosei Yatsura, but man, just looking at 198 episodes of something and being like, oh, I'll be done in 2024 <laughs> for the next presidential election. Oh, I remember when I was a wee lad looking at the 500 episodes of One Piece I had to go through and being really excited. And now I see something like that and I'm like, oh, no, I'll pass. Yeah, there's a point in your life where where you switch over from like, oh man, there's so much content, I'll never have to stop playing this game. It's the mythical forever game. And then when you look on Steam and people are like, this game takes 20 hours to beat, and you're like, oh, 20 hours. <laughs> too many. Okay, I, pro- I probably have 20 hours over the next two months yeah, that but- I can play this game with. <laughs> well, to stay in the fantasy realm, let's go ahead. Would you rather do ReZero or How to Pick Up Girls in a Dungeon next? So I've been watching How to Pick Up Girls in a Dungeon, or as it's more commonly known, uh, no, it's not how, it's it, is it wrong? Which is, a yeah, different is it wrong to type. pick up girls in a dungeon? <laughs> Sorry, I was, mix- I was mixing it up with how not to summon a demon lord. <laughs> all, all of our sentence titles, uh, which, sentence title fantasy anime are mixing me yeah. up. Which is, to be fair, arguably more horny than uh, how is it wrong to pick up girls in a dungeon. I will say I've said this before, but like I'm I'm watching some dumb shows on VRV, which gives me Crunchyroll ads and or no or some sort of streaming anime ads, and the ads they cut together for is it wrong to pick up girls in a dungeon look either like romance anime or like super hardcore like fantasy drama like Attack on Titan stuff. It's I have no idea why they're advertising show. it like this. That, There's that's no actually, comedy. That's that's actually accurate, Ben. I'd say it's it's. <laughs> It's, I've watched. I've watched some as well. Like, I can agree. This is. It's an odd mix. Carry on. Yeah. So it's it's sort of a semi isekai. It's not. It's mm. there are. Semi isekai adventure games are real in this world. So people yeah. level up, they get skills, so on and so forth. But this occurs because of um, gods coming down and bestowing these divine skills on people, rather than any sort of actual game being acknowledged, and it's. It's sort of, I guess, what if uh, the the tropes and expectations of uh, a game were real instead of just a system? And I, I guess that's what differentiates it from most isekais. It's not really that interested in the in the systems. It's more interested in um, the heroic arc of its hero Belle Cranel which, uh, which is a really fucking dumb, dumb. name and 
his uh, patron goddess Hestia, who is just I, I think but it was either you or John told me previously that her 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 nickname on the show is Lolly Big Boobs, and, and that is essentially the extent of her character. She is just this 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 tiny, incredibly <laughs> horny, big breasted presence in Belle's life who's always r- trying to to hug him to her breast and and growling anytime uh, he goes near another woman which he do- as as the show's title all um implies he he builds a, he, him building his party is almost like him building a harem so it's it's good old anime yep. Yep. yeah i mean it is a but he's the thing is he's so incredibly chased he's he he's like the typical well, he... The typical hair man. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I mean, jo- I remember John did say that he did like that, like the girl's the horny one and the guy doesn't really care. Uh, I have also heard heard Hestia called Bustia, so there's also that too. She's uh, if if anyone doesn't know who the girl we're talking about, she's the one who has the stupid blue boob ribbon that runs under her breasts over her arms and then somehow always stays there. It must be her magical <laughs> goddess powers, and it's the only useful thing she has. Magical goddess powers of double-sided tape. Yeah, <laughs> don't ruin but it. You're in, but you're enjoying it. You've been—they tricked you into watching it because it was yeah, on streaming, I mean, and you're yeah. enjoying it. I don't know who I, tricked I, you because it wasn't me. I think yeah, that was, the they the it, the powers would be. It's, it's a combination uh, of uh, John at some point saying it was good, and it just popping up in the Netflix feed, and me just wanting. I want some damn right now. I don't want to think. Uh, <laughs> on on goes this because it's isekai adjacent so i don't expect anything from it um, it's a good shout to be fair if you want something trashy and dumb don't think doesn't require you to think so i yeah. imagine is what you're about to say <laughs> i mean it's got decent action it's well animated um uh, even if there is a, a lot of love given to the animation of uh, the women's clothing or lack of thereof at times um mm-hmm. and but it is weirdly, as Ben Ben said, like half of its time is is introducing these girls and their situations and why the Bell's act of kindness to them suddenly chimes with their backstory and they become devoted to him in some way, shape, or form, and <laughs> Bell having cinematic uh, fights with monsters and. It is, and it does end pretty much almost with uh, a Attack on Titan style raid boss where they're fighting something the size of a uh, skyscraper, and it's got these weird allusions to Greek myth and like the hero's journey, which just feel like Chrome. Really, <laughs> I don't. I don't think there's anything to them. It's it's just there, him being. His like special skill, the thing which makes him unique, is that he he's a it, it just is a skill called Argonaut, which just basically gives him this. He is the he's the guy who makes that that shot which hits the dragon's weak spots. Who hmm. it's all about setting him up so he can knock things down. Um, he he makes that million to one chance. If we're making yeah, he's he's just got the hyper lucky feet. He's like 
The, oh, like Cosmo. Yeah, he's he's the fucking um, Donal of your uh, Fire Emblem party, if that reference makes any sense. What's it, it does. Not to me. Yeah. So every every Fire Emblem <laughs> game has like like One a garbage character corporate. who yeah. has like insane growth potential and becomes like a walking god by the end of the game if you just like feed kills into him. And he's always a pauper, and he's always really poor, and he always like. Donald in Fire Awakening is literally wearing a teapot, like a tin pot on his head, and holding a broom as a weapon. Uh, yeah, yeah. But yes. They do that here as well because they they have him yeah. living in a ruined church and just eating uh, croquets and put and just like putting salt on them and and, and that's the only thing they eat apparently. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's just a very a very slight show, but enjoyable and well animated like if you need just need a distraction you could do worse but if um overly horniness to your female characters is not something you want then you probably should stay stay clear if i if i go in if i go if i go in looking for the answer to the question posed by the title will i be disappointed (laughs) yeah speaking of better just law of headlines (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I think it, ref- it, it it seems to refute that. It's right as it, to pick them up because otherwise, how do you get your um, support character and uh, DPS for your party? <laughs> so is it, so is it not because f- I was the thing that I noted about the the VRV ads is that they show absolutely no comedy whatsoever. Is it not funny? No, it, it's. It has, it has moments of funny, but yeah. it's more sincere than you expect. I think. Yeah, that that surprises me a lot. Yeah. It, I figured it'd be a complete. It would be like horny Konosuba or something. But it's it's, it's just horny ReZero. It, it treats <laughs> um, its comedy stuff around certain characters, like Hestia. A lot of her interactions are are comedy because she's like she's the tiny hyperactive one. And therefore, okay, she's going to be the comedy character here. Um, but a lot of the time, the adventuring that goes on and the introduction of characters isn't is done quite sincerely, and so you don't get that much laughs. It's it's close. It's just hmm. a, a very traditional adventure in that way. It's it's not. I think like Con Super has has made us expect like it. You have to have a subversion, whereas this this is just yeah. a well constructed. Um, Cookie cutter, yeah, um, and it, and it, like the RPG elements are so fucking strong as well because it's like they don't even um, like the the there's a whole isn't doesn't Hestia see his stat sheet essentially by like yeah, putting he, some magic on his back and it's literally there on his back like she just reads it and he's like yes yeah. once again a tattoo maybe maybe this is a spin off <laughs> that, that would um, explain it all it's this it's really weird like. like the fucking it's not an isekai you expect it to sort of reveal itself to be an isekai but it's not it's just a straight up rpg world with complete rpg trappings um i mean if we if we have to try and unpick it i guess you could say that the gods are essentially players because they come down and they recruit their these families these uh uh groups of adventurers and i guess that's that's the player character in a in a jrpg getting this player getting your your main character and then just forming a group around them and so i guess the gods are us in this um, show 
Yeah. Oh, right. This is the show also where where it's they're called Familia, right? Which is yeah. Latin for household, uh, mm-hmm. which is interesting that they use that odd sort of terminology. Well, yeah, there's like a lot of the gods seem to be um, from the Greek pantheon. Um, there's a couple of Japanese ones sort of sprinkled here and there, but like it's mainly sort of Greco-Roman stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sort of just a sort of general ancient world pastiche that anime often likes. Yeah, it's got very little recognizable style to its world. It's it just feels like like I, I know like generic fantasy is just such a, a generic description, but it really yeah. is. <laughs> um, it yes. just doesn't have a strong taste to it. It's just very. Um, it's entire. Everything is entirely as you'd expect it. Yeah, it's the weird human centipede of like Tolkien to D anD D to Lodos War to like isekais to to <laughs> fantasy shows that just have all the trappings of isekais, but just leave out the whole guy from Japan is here yeah. for some reason. Gag. It's weird. I think. Right, I think which is what makes which is what makes side like side branches on that family tree like Escaflone, which i have been watching slowly mm. um very interesting because it's so weird to watch what is technically an isekai by the definition that that's emerged but they were before the codification so there are just things there that you would never see in a modern isekai like both i think i talked before both 12 kingdoms and uh the Escaflone tv show and movie like the protagonist spent like the first half of the fucking show wigging, just wigging out about how like scared and how they want to go home and how this mm. isn't fun. And it's like, wow, before someone didn't tell these people that being reborn in, dif- in a different world with magic and shit is supposed to be a power fantasy. Yeah. Uh, the other weird yeah. thing about the other weird thing about Dan Machi real quick is because it's not an isekai, there's not that underlying level of, I want to go home. It's like, I don't even know what the main story is evolving, revolves around, to be honest. It's, it's just a hero's journey, Andy. It's it's, it's li- literally, Bell wants to be a hero. Here's Bell trying to become a hero. Bell has become a hero. Yay. <laughs> Fair enough. And that's Bell's end. Anyway. Um, well, speaking of something that is isekai... Uh, so I know that I denied you last recording, Andy, about talking about Ray Zero, but Ray Zero. I keep yeah. saying Ray Zero. I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> Not Ray Zero. Ayanami Ray Zero. <laughs> yeah. Well, you told me that Jeff had feelings. So Jeff, yes. what are your feelings? And Jeff was uh, I think that's time. I think that's one of the top ten anime of the last decade. <laughs> <laughs> um, I um, I mean, why don't you kick it off because. Yeah, like I haven't been watching any of the uh, the director's cut because I just kind of picked up uh, right when that was started, and I was impatient. And yeah. early reports were saying that the the changes that were being made were minor, and so I didn't bother. So maybe you could have have. Is this the first time you're through it, or no? I watched it when it first aired, and then I was. It's been what two, three years since the first airing, so I've completely forgotten. Yeah, I think um, I think four actually. I think it's longer than that. But yeah, so the director's cut is, as you say, um, it's great because I've forgotten how much I love V Zero. Uh, but on the other side, um, it's it's no different from the original series. If you've just come off the uh, TV series, the original airing, I imagine, or so far, there's been 
absolutely no change. There's been minor, minor, minor visual changes and a few additional side gags that are honestly mm-hmm. just not worth rewatching. Um, the only exception would be the double episode. And I say double episode weirdly because it's a single episode is 40 minutes. So a single episode is a double episode. So really it's a quadruple episode that came out of um, what felt like the OVAs. I don't know whether that's true or not. But it was the uh, original sort of like a gap between... Um, <clears throat> and I'm going to go full spoiler because it's four years old. And if you guys haven't seen it by now, then fuck it. Um, between <laughs> the end of Rem's arc and the Oni, like the Oni twin arc where um, Subaru discovers about Ram and Rem and that relationship deepens to, I think, the next arc afterwards is... Fuck, I can't even remember now. That's where they go back uh, to the capital and... Uh... Yeah, and he makes a tit out of himself. So this is, yeah. So this is a weird sort of interlude where it's snowing a lot because of um, Puck's magic releasing thing. And so they have like a snow festival. And it's really dumb and it's really silly, but it's really great to see the characters in a bit more of a, a lighter attitude than you would in, say, in sort of like Isekai Quartet, but without the rest and decent animation budget. Um, mm. So, yeah, that's that's fun. It, I don't think you should take it that seriously, but it's a lot of fun. Um, and just re-watching the whole series uh, reminds me how much I really enjoyed it, how much I really loved all the characters' sort of um, development. And even then, I completely forgot like about Ram and Rem's backstory and why what it was that Subaru did to make Rem sort of fall for him and that felt really natural and it feels really wonderful to sort of relive that and be like, oh, I know what's going to happen next. Like, it, mm-hmm. it's it's good. Like, it's a very, very competent show. It knows, it, it sort of st- sets up its stool very, very well and does the one thing that I really, the one thing I really love is I think in the next few episodes, we're going to get that boring backlore like you get at the beginning of Record of Lodos War where it tells you the, the whole history of the world, um, which is about 10 minutes. But by that point, you're fucking interested in the world because you've been sitting through Ram and Rem and Subaru's sort of backstory. And I think this is also the point in which Amelia falls out with him and you get an interesting change in um, perspective and character roles, that it's not this hero's journey like Duncan said with Dan Machi, but it's actually sort of like him slowly realising that he is actually powerless, even though he's got an incredible power. Uh, he's completely powerless in this world, and there's really nothing much he can do because he's not one of the chosen selectants for the uh, next king, which is also something I forgot. It is actually mentioned in the last episode too. I don't know. It's really good stuff. Yeah, and uh, I, it was. It's. I was kind of thrown off by it because I think I said this before on mic but i was i had come into it right after kanasuba and i was sort of expecting a similar thing because i have a weird habit of like walking backwards into genres by like the first thing that i watch is like a satire or a send-up or a subversion of it and the fact that it was you know it it starts off with him you know sort of attaching himself and his destiny to amelia and then almost immediately just kind of forgets about that. It's because the whole show is just about him sort of working out 
you know, the rules of the world and how he's going to succeed. And like the big global drama of like, you know, selecting the priestess of the dragon and blah, blah, blah. And the, the, the jealous witch and all that stuff is like, it's sort of happening in the background, but the main attraction is just Subaru trying to make his way through this and making peace with the fact that, you know, like you were saying, you know, he doesn't have, he's not the main character of this story. Um, he has a role to play, but he has to sort of square that with, you know, what he's actually able to do. And I think, I still think that the first half of the show, the pacing is kind of weird. Like they spend a lot of time. I think they spend like almost two episodes of Rem just blowing dogs up with a ball and chain. Yeah. And then the second half, like it really picks up in the, like the drama feels more real because like the, the stakes feel because like, you know, the whole gag of the show is that the main character, you know, when he dies, he comes back to life and gets to try again. And, you know, it's kind of like the, that, Tom Cruise movie Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. Uh but Groundhog's Day more commonly. Yeah. <laughs> that too. But he's he's trapped in the one day though. That's different. Yeah. And this show like but they also, you know, they they take pains to sort of like very slowly layer on the trauma and the fear and the pain of him of that affecting him and also, you know, Every arc basically, you know, undoes a bunch of the rules that he thought were established in the last arc, which is pretty fun. Yeah. And it, yeah, and my my only real beef with the show is that the it really goes out of its way to just inflict like real gruesome violence and cruelty on the supporting cast as a way of motivating Subaru and like especially on Rem, who is this like sort of like heartbroken, you know hanger on that you know you know they, they you know they form their like a very close relationship in the show but he also just like flat turns her down after watching her get killed over and over again you know on his path to eventual victory and i like i have like mixed feelings about that but like i think for the most part i think it's earned it's pretty good i think i think there's a lot of you're talking about the death arc, right? With um, the blue-haired guy, the green guy who Roswell fucking... Yeah. Something, something, yeah. yeah, Beetlejuice is his name. Yeah. I know, and, yeah, I'm getting Roswell and Beetlejuice completely mixed up. Just two, and two doesn't, people in clown makeup. And then <laughs> Rem gets captured, doesn't she? And then tortured, doesn't that happen? Yeah, she gets like twisted apart like a steamed crab. It's crazy. Yeah, and that's a that was a very... That was a very like strong episode in that it was very nasty, but I, mm-hmm. I felt that even then, like the thing about that was Subaru's Subaru doesn't have any feelings towards Rem, so she he just turned him down. It wasn't I think regardless of how messed up she then sees Rem, like I think that's not the same thing. Like, you can still protect your friends and then also just be like, well, I don't have any romantic intentions towards you. I, I really love it's... Amelia. I think they're too... No? I don't think that that, that arc was, was about that, though. That arc was mm. about uh, Subaru basically coming to um, the realisation that it's not just about... Like, like the first his first big breakthrough is is, okay... The power starts off as like, oh wow, I can use. I have a save point. I can use this. I can go back and redo things. And then the, f- the first way the trope's broken is okay, but it's painful. It's horrible. 
it's unpleasant. He he's scared when he does it, and it's and, right. He dies. He doesn't like the, dying. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and then, then the second subversion is this makes him think he's more powerful than he is. And well, he... you're also forgetting the third subversion. Sorry to interrupt, which is that he can't tell anyone. Okay. Yep, that's fine. But... Well, it's important. Okay, so he the needs... fourth one then is, <laughs> is that is that when we get to this arc, he's he's already accepted pain to himself. He's already accepted that he's not going to be the main star. But what he hasn't sort of figured out yet is that he's going to cause suffering to other people and that how can he try and save everyone how can he stop everyone someone always suffers no matter what he does how can he get this perfect run where no one dies where no one suffers and what does he have to sacrifice to do that how much pain and and eventual admission of his pride and uh, sort of bad characteristics is what allows him to beat it. Um, so I, I think it's important as a arc where he's again confronted with what a bit of a, a shit he is. Like this is that's the big difference between it and Konosuba um, uh, that Kazuma is never never called on what a complete and utter shit he is, whereas Saburu is is, is is properly and thoroughly dressed down on multiple occasions. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of times in which he does incredibly wrong things and then you part of your head just goes, well, just die, and then you'll be able to skip, like, the whole mess he makes himself, he his, makes himself of when he does the uh, selection part. Like, he makes a complete fool out of himself there. And you'll just be like, well, why don't you just die? And then you'll be able to do it again. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's I really think Konosuba's great. And I think that everyone, like, I don't know. It'll be, it's good it's, shit. It's, it'll be interesting to see what they... Like, Beatrice is, is kind of, of an interesting little character who doesn't do much, but equally breaks the rules of the world. She just sits there in her library, completely outside the, the rest of the rules of casualty, and she knows that Subaru is resetting. We have no idea how she knows or no, why she, she knows. Doesn't. But she doesn't know. Pretty sure she does. But, well, okay. It appears to be an actual matter of dissent in the community as a whole, so whether or not she remembers or it's a coincidence or a misinterpretation. So, who knows? Yep. Well, we're, getting a, we're getting a, a new season this year at some yeah. point, so maybe they'll tell us. That'll be great. Well, this is this is why the director's cut's happening. So they it ends mm. and then it jumps straight into season two. So yeah, I'm looking forward to remembering what the fuck's going on and seeing how it's continuing. Cause... So y'all are excited for the next season? Definitely, definitely. Talking about something I'm not that excited about. I've been watching Masamune Kun's Revenge, and I don't know why, but I, well, I do know why because I really like the artist who does the visual novel stuff called. Um, Tiv, and it's not a very good show. It's a really odd sort of. Um, it's a really. It's actually it's got a premise of sort of like uh, what was that fucking show that you were talking about um, with unlikable characters? Like nobody's likable in this show in the slightest. It's about a guy called Masamune Kun who is very attractive and works out, or so he believes, 
um, and then fucking tries to get a girl called uh, Adakai to fall in love with him so that he can then turn her down. It's like a really ugly, disgusting, like, romance comedy with no comedy, and the romance is utterly detestable. Um, But I'm watching it because I kind of want to know how it ends, and it is disgusting how it falls into its trappings. Um, I might talk about it a bit later when I've seen it, but right now it's it's not a good show. But right um, now you don't like it; it's not a good show. Yeah, well, I don't. It's interesting because it's it's. I mean, it's such like, it's such like. I don't know whether it's male fan service, but it's like the guy's like, I'm the best. I'm I'm beautiful and attractive, and he's got such a high ego. And then what's happened right now is the exact opposite of him, who's like this short, uh, fatter guy who's really nice and, like, is kind uh, and is a decent human, who comes into the girl that he's trying to get him... Who the girl called uh, Adaki, I believe her name is. Hold on. Um, and she tries to... She, he comes into her life and basically tries to fall in... Like, get her to... Uh, her name is Aki Adaki. Uh, Adagaki, sorry. Um, so she comes into Aki's life... And then it's like, I'm going to marry you. And she's like, okay. And it's the exact opposite of him. Um, this is just after another arc, the previous arc, where there was a girl who's like terminally ill or something and falls in love with Masamune-kun. And then there's a relationship triangle there. It literally gets resolved. And then it moves on to this other part, which is the only interesting part right now. It might have some redemption because it's exactly against his character who's utterly despisable and is basically a fucking jock um, who wants to dick over a girl because she embarrassed him one time and he professed his love. Basically, Aki's whole thing is that some people ask her out and then she uh, refutes her love, his their love, and then gives them a nickname. And so he, when he was a very small kid who was small and fat, um, calls, her, calls her pig's foot. That's the nickname that she gives him. Uh, and then she runs. he runs away quiet, crying about this. And then for 10 years, he works out on his body so that he's like thin and lean and unrecognizable from the old Masamune-kun. And then, um, you know, tr- tries to get Ad- Adaki to fall in love with him so that he can then... Um, so that then he can turn her down and then get his revenge. Which is disgusting as a premise, and it does, and then you've got a cast of characters who are either ineffectual and don't really come in it much. But there's the maid girl, who's the other main cast, who um, hates Aki too because she just thinks she's a bit of a bitch, and she also always um, does all of her jobs for her. So she just is basically her dog's body, and she really doesn't like her for that reason, and so also wants to see him success successful in getting her to fall for him uh so it's a very interesting premise in a way but also despicable premise because it means that you can't like anyone um and now there's one character who's exactly the opposite of what masamune is and what he was and what he didn't want to be and adaki is adagaki is now falling head over heels for him so there's an interesting twist here there's an interesting dilemma but I imagine it will go exactly the same way. Um, it's just a weird show that is sort of a romance about him wanting to get his like petty revenge. And you know they're going to fall for each other and go out with each other in the end. It's odd. 
I wouldn't recommend watching it. <laughs> but you will report back nonetheless. <laughs> but I will. And, and the character designs, to be fair, which is the one reason why I started watching it, is actually pretty good. I quite like their stupid... They have this really stupid, like, um, cardigan, because it is a high school drama, and it's a cardigan that goes down like a butler's waistcoat. So it goes all the way down, and then there's, like, two buttons. It's mental. That doesn't sound good. That sounds bad. <laughs> sounds it's, like typical anime bullshit costumes. <laughs> it is, but it's it's more... it's. It's fun. I don't know. I like the design a lot, but it's just everything else around it is kind of hateable. The story is utterly despisable. But I'm enjoying... I guess I want to know how it ends now because I'm like... And then also like 10 episodes, like three episodes away from it finishing, they introduce like four new fucking characters. And I'm just like, what the hell's going to happen now? Anyway, moving on. (laughs) Who can say? You'll have to let us know. Uh, well, speaking of the opposite of a show where all the characters are unlikable, uh, Jeff binged a lot of romance anime, including Ore Monogatari, correct? I, I did, yes. I binge watched Ore Monogatari. Uh, I, I'm not really sure why. I think, well, I, I know why, because I, for whatever reason, started watching Watamote. And we could, we've talked about that before. That yeah. Watching that show is kind of a, a form of like self harm. And. <laughs> I wanted something nice to watch after that and started watching Ori Monogatari. Yeah. And that is just like, nice. yeah, it's like, do you need to feel good? Just watch this show. It's like, it's like anime Prozac, you know, it'll. It's the same, it came out about the same time too, I think. Well, a couple of years after. Give or, give or take. Yeah. But yeah, the story, the story of this big, this big brutish looking guy who's actually a total softy sweetheart and the girl that he's falling for and then they get together and they just like date happily mm-hmm. uh him and his girlfriend and their mutual good friend who he originally thought was maybe his rival for her affections but it's just like a really supportive nice yeah, guy really mm-hmm. I, I i remember the thing my takeaway of it was that the girl was really horning for her and then he was really like nervous because of he basically has like a super body complex issue where he's like, how can anyone fall for this ugly sack of shit? Which I think is a feeling that most <laughs> it's guys... It's a bit have... more hardcore than it actually is in the... <laughs> yeah, but... disgusting yeah. pig creature yeah, that is me. Which is, I think, a feeling that possibly most guys have once or twice in their life, but or a thought. Um, but he is actually really... He's just really fucking buff, which is another weird thing that sort of turns out. He looks fat and he's got like... Those big circular, like puffed out lips. Um, yeah, he's got the he's got the the unibrow and like the fat lips. That's like a sign of being ugly in uh, manga and anime shorthand. But mm. yeah, um, but he's a nice guy, and she has like big feelings for him, and he has like big feelings for her, and they're both just kind of dumb, so they don't know it. But yeah, much and, like something that you'll be talking about a bit later, Jeff. I like that they just get together, and then there's just a show about them dating. So yeah, yeah, it's just a I'm, show about them dating, and like all of the all of the, like the the peril and drama comes from them not realizing how in love they are with each other and you know there's a you know yamato the the girl is like i have this terrible secret i i love him too much and he's gonna think i'm weird and perverted because he wants to be pure and chaste and it's like no it's it's fine and 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 it's and it's, (laughs) it's really nice that you know the friend is kind of you know you know the mirror into reality where it's like you know he you know takeo the, the the big dude you know he's all twisted up and he's like i have to do this perfectly i have to you know i have to plan this kiss i have to like you know completely overthink this and he's just like it'll be fine you can just tell her it, you don't have to worry about it 
you know, <laughs> just 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 talk to them and they'll be fine. You know, and he, he's kind of like the voice of the audience where it's just like, just just talk to her. Just be nice and yeah, just, you just guys be will decent, be fine. Be a decent human and you will be OK. Uh, yeah. And, and like and they kind of exist like even in the in the fiction of the world, they are this fairy tale couple that nobody else can really get a, a hold on. And you're like, it's like, what? You know, did he trick her? Is there something else going on? Is she trying to get something out of him? It's like, no, she just like fell in love with him at first sight. He fell in love with her at first sight. And they're just perfect for each other. and We'll be together forever. And yeah. all the other characters are just kind of like trying to deal with that. Like there's a, you know, both of them have this sort of circle of like more normal people as friends and a couple, you know, one of Takio's boys and one of Rinko's girls start hooking up, but in like, in a much more just kind of like dumb teenager wave where like, you know, the first time they meet, they hold hands and the second day they meet, they kiss. And like, of course these two, you know, shoujo characters are just aghast and scandalized by the idea that like, you're, you're skipping all the steps. You're not, you know, locked in your head. Head, you know with flowers rotating behind you you know before you do these things and it's you know it, 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 it i wouldn't say that it undercuts it it just you know it's it's those little nods to the camera that make the show a lot more you know a lot more enjoyable you know it, may, it helps the the humor land and you know just the the unyielding sweetness of the 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 title characters you know sort of go over nicely and, and yeah it's just it's just a nice show to watch when you're not feeling nice it's good and you can contrast that with uh i can contrast that with karakano uh aka karashi uh, karashi kanjo no jijo also known as his and her circumstances the show i've been telling ben that i would watch for the last three years give or take <laughs> This, this show that Ben brings up whenever someone talks about romance anime and like, oh, this one's actually like they get together really quick. And it's about like the difficulty of being vulnerable to another person as opposed mm-hmm. to. Yeah. And the and also, you know, also speaking of troubled productions from a bunch of people that are post Evangelion, this I've so I haven't seen the whole thing yet. I have seen Hideaki Anno's contribution. And uh, Ben, you know, the the storied history of the the production of this show. Do you want to it, start with that? It's it's not much of a his of a history. It's mostly just that the uh, the mangaka uh, Masami Tsuda uh, was really mad that there was too much comedy and not enough lovey dovey stuff between between uh, Yukino the girl and uh, what's his face Arima the guy. Um, There's too much comedy, too much focus on side characters. And eventually she made such a stink that Gainax decided to remove Anno from the project. I suspect that Anno was already tired. Like he, he tends to burn out in the high teens anyway. So mm-hmm. uh, he probably didn't mind getting pulled off. Uh, and one of his protégés took over. And there's a bunch of recap episodes, a short side story about uh, two minor characters. And then it ends and like it's never going to get another season because Masami Tsuda was so was so unhappy with how how it distracted from the romance and like the soul connection and i think of her as one of the examples of people who like don't understand what's good about their own work because like i've read the the last issue of karikano the manga and like you know gives up her dreams of being a doctor so that she can be a housewife and pop out babies for aruma so <laughs> like oh two confident people with their own goals no let's just do the hinata thing like andy was talking about yeah uh, 
and 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 it's it's a it's a it's a great example of a show where it like through the use of uh like it's one of the rare examples where like flashbacks from characters perspectives are used effectively because like you were saying the the show starts off very quickly where you know naturally you know the two characters you know the titular kari and kano will you know she is you know her whole thing is like you know i, I want to be the star of the school i want to be you know have the top marks i want to be the most popular and so she just you know devotes her whole, entire self to constructing this persona of this like immaculate student and as a result, like she doesn't have any real connections to anybody around here because she has to like wear this mask. Uh, Arima is in a similar situation where he's also like, you know, top of the class, captain of the kendo, kendo team, and you know this is the first time that she's had anybody around her that can rival her in her achievements, and so she just instantly hates him. And then you know, he sort of gets the better of her for a while, and he like you know, you no. Know, connives to make her like his you know secret servant and she has to like you know because like oh i'll tell everybody who you are and then it turns out that oh this is like the first time i've actually like and she's like oh my god he's just like me he's conniving he's conniving and evil and manipulative and he's like no actually this is the first time i've ever done anything like this you just kind of brought this (laughs) out of me and it's been a lot of fun I, i hope you don't hold it against me and they sort of slowly break down each other's personas because like he has a tragic backstory and he you know for different reasons has also constructed this persona of this, you know, perfect student to make everybody else happy at the expense of his own happiness. And it's, you know, the love story comes down to them sort of both breaking down these personas so they can be more of themselves. And then that sort of starts spreading out to all the other people around them. Because like, as, as much as the show is about their relationship, it's also about people, you know, getting to know each other, breaking down barriers, you know, making peace with their like screwed up family lives and sort of, you know, finding each other, you know, power of love, power of friendship, that kind of good stuff that. Yeah. About, about how relationships with, with people, whether romantic or platonic aren't necessarily about changing yourself. So other people like you, they're about enabling you to be your own most authentic self because of the support group that you have. And I think it's very sweet and how like, the show starts out and Yukino is, is a, a bad person. She is, she is not a good person. And in fact, uh, Arima confesses to her at the beginning and she rejects him because, because she like, is like, Oh man, it'll be such great. Like all this like thing to hold over his head for the rest of high school that he fell in love with me. And I told him no. And it's her sisters who are great side characters. And mm-hmm. also uh, their voice actresses. It's just like every next episode preview is just the act, voice actresses in the recording booth like doing their bit and they like have their they record together and have a kind of like timed back and forth but one of the sisters is like it sounds like you like him and she's like no that's not true i don't like him do i like him and it's yeah oh it's, shit i like him <laughs> yeah. oh no i just rejected like the perfect guy in school who genuinely likes me um because i thought it would be more more important to like you know get the upper hand on him with our stupid rivalry it's it's very it's very cute and extremely like tightly written and performed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even as the cast expands out, there still does feel like it's all part of the same story. I really like it. Yeah. It's a shame that we'll never get more, but. And the production is really interesting too, because it almost seems like, like proto Shinbo, like mixed uh, media, like very uh, like, uh, 
like using different animation techniques to convey different moods, like a lot of very sketchy still shots. It, it looks like somebody working within the confines of a very, very, very tight budget and making the best of it. And it really sort of demonstrates the strength of Anno being able to, you know, create something interesting and memorable out of like what seems like a shoestring budget. Like you can t- sort of tell that, you know, some things are getting rushed, like a lot, like, like, probably two or three minutes every episode is dedicated to a pretty unnecessary recap there is uh um and like you were saying like there's like one and a half episodes devoted entirely to recaps in the middle of the series so you know watching shirobako you know you sort of are made wise to you know these are all these shortcuts that you could take to you know hit deadlines and hit budget lines and it seems like this show is making use of a lot of those things but it because it's being handled by a competent team, it it enhances it. I think if it was just like done straight, I think it would, I think it would take away from the impact. Because like you know, it really loves to sort of like you know shrink people down to chibis or you know make something look like a uh, like a still frame of a shoujo manga. Like they they do like the FL or like like Fuli Cooley has that sort of like you know very you know machine gun rapid fire you know, diegetic manga panels in the world telling the story. And they do that kind of thing in the show as well. It's, uh, you know, it's how you get away with having a bunch of still frames telling the uh, the story instead of people being animated. But, you know, by lampshading it, it makes it fun. Yeah, there there is a lot of like either different animation styles or kind of like more bare stuff. Uh, Anno experiments in mixed media. He has like finger puppets and production sketches and drawing directly on cells. And like, I think we we talked before about how the title cards and the interstitial cards have um, like the cropping lines still on them as opposed to being cropped off. So there is the kind of, by making the anime animation seem more unfinished and more kind of abstract and industrial, we encourage people to kind of like take it piecemeal and maybe use the dialogue between the characters as the uniting element rather than the animation providing uniting element between the dialogue scenes it's a very interesting work it's very experimental and probably i feel like probably the most experimental we ever get to see Anno because when he back when he comes back to to anime later it's it's uh with the rebuilds where he's got enough money that he doesn't need to to do all these ridiculous awkward things and shinbo is really the one taking forward these mixed materials uh deconstructed animation scenes highly uh clashing mixings of styles yeah, like there's a sequence where that's literally somebody like used a, like a like t- took snapshots of animation cells on top of a, a table and just piling up on top of each other as the as the sequence goes and like I've never seen anything like that before and yeah. but, and you know who knows if that was just an artistic choice or if that was we need to fill in thirty seconds and we have literally thirty seconds to do it okay let's do it <laughs> I mean regardless it works is the thing. Yep. <laughs> According uh, to everybody except the author of the manga. <laughs> <laughs> well, she doesn't know what's good about her own work, is what I'm going to go ahead and say again. Uh, it's, it is, um, there's, but there's a bunch of other stuff too. Like, I, it's not all the, the manga author's fault. There's also, like, new restrictions on anime after the Pokemon seizure incident. Mm. Uh, this is shortly after, which, Jeff, oh, you'll wow. probably know, they have a warning for the for like sit, watch anime in a well-lit room, make sure to sit at least five feet away from the TV. Yep. Uh, that sort of thing. And Anno felt that there was a lot of, a lot of material that he had to cut because they couldn't get it past the people at the TV station. 
um, trying to implement new standards that wouldn't that had less of a chance of causing seizures. Um, and but but it is was mostly just you know the uh, the manga author interfering like we see in the in the second half of uh shirabako that sort of thing mm-hmm. um but yeah and ano was very unhappy and he's actually credited um in later episodes uh with uh, his name spelled in uh katakana instead of kanji which is an interesting way to to alan smithy uh a work that you've become dissatisfied with but mm-hmm. i'm glad that we have what we have and i wish someday hopefully someday someone will license the blu-rays which look amazing um, but they're japan only right now i'm sure they'll come across though eventually it's it's a uh, nozomi slash right stuff that has the license and they have a, a reasonably adequate uh uh dvd version unfortunately it's got some pretty bad gate weave on the transfer but that's just I'm how a lot of stuff that talking was... about that gate weave bobbing <laughs> in and out gate weave you know yeah. like what you'll notice is sometimes when it's changing scenes, there'll be like a bump and the, and the, the frame will move up or over. And yeah. that's with older photographing equipment. Um, the heat seal that presses together different cuts has a bump there and it'll, it'll literally bump the camera just fractionally. And it wasn't noticeable with like standard TV equipment in the 90s. But now, even with just regular definition DVDs, you can see there's like a, a slight jerking of the frame. Mm-hmm. And that's how you get the gate weave. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, the, the, so you're saying the Blu-ray will snatch the gate weave? Well, usually because the Blu-ray is remat is remastered, so they're using a different they're using different uh, different uh, recording and transfer of the of the stuff to get rid of it. So yeah. here's hope. Different gates, less to weave in and out of. <laughs> uh, all a bunch of amateurs. Let's take a break. I'm going to talk to these guys, and then we'll come back and be talking about. Hakusei's Professors and Doctors in Anime. And we're back. So this is kind of a weird topic and trope to spotlight. Uh, We have a random number generator that we've used to come up with our topic ideas. And... Hakusei is an interesting one because it is literally just the term for someone who holds a PhD and is a doctor of some kind in the broader sense of doctor, like how I'm a doctor of medieval history. Uh, Are you? But yeah, yeah. You never said. Yeah, yeah. We know. <laughs> Where, uh, which did you get? <laughs> means you're, I can't help you're people. You're a doctor. <laughs> yeah, it happened, it happened in the summer, Andy. Uh, I know. Remember I know, my really it. bad time? It was, yes. That was what came of it. Uh, <laughs> so you should call me Hakashe or, uh, or Halliburton She. Uh, <laughs> but, I'm just uh, Ben Sensei. But, uh, but yeah, I feel like everyone knows anime characters who have white lab coats and are either mad scientists or serious uh, researchers. Um, but as a trope, I don't know if it necessarily has a bunch of, uh, of features associated with it, but I thought that we could just hash out and kind of come up with our own, uh, idea of what the Hakusei is, as well as its adjunct terminology, like the sensei, not in the fighting master type, but how they refer to doctors and teachers and, uh, chisho master or, uh, oftentimes Mm. teacher or lecturer. Uh, the one that comes to me, courtesy in part to uh, Jeff's uh, watching of Karikano, is the consummate Hakusei, as far as I'm concerned, 
Ritsuko Akagi from Neon Genesis Evangelion. Um, See, that's surprising because to really? me, yeah, because to me, um, the titular uh, Hakusei to, is well, the, the consummate, the, the consummate. <laughs> There's Okabe uh, Rintero, I think it is, from Steinsgate. That's the first one Steins I think. So I don't hate Steinsgate. Okay. I know if you hate British, Steinsgate, I can't keep I... up. <laughs> There's me and everyone else on this podcast, as far as I'm concerned. And yet you're the professor. Duncan's really into Monogatari series. <laughs> Jeff really loves Eccentric Family. It's all the same. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and the, other, the other one is um, Nichijo. The Hakusei from Nichijou. Well, she's literally called Hakusei there. But well, she's yeah, like, exactly. She's, but she's a, a subversion because she's a tiny little girl who just like builds clockwork creatures and is like a sleepy, whiny kid. Yeah. So I but mean, I think- I, I've I've been working on you know a uh, you know an all encompassing description of the Hakusei character and. The best that I can do, because like as a trope, it almost seems like like an exquisite corpse of a trope where like <laughs> the most recent one is based on the last recent one based on the one right before that. And so over the years, like, you know, you were saying like the, the Ritzko character is the, you know, you know, she has she has a very narrow focus. She's very smart. She's very capable. But she also gets caught up in the greater, you know, problems of the world. Mm-hmm. And she's so she's clearly lonely and kind of has dysfunctional relationships with people. And yeah, and and that and that is to me like the the affectation of the lab coat and you know the hyper intelligence and the science skills almost seems like an afterthought. And it's the <laughs> the very narrow focus. And you know the you know the, the strength and a narrow focus, and then being like naive and helpless beyond that seems to be the unifying trope, where you have like and and you also like you can even go back before her to a lot of the old like big robot animes where you yeah, have Mazinger Z has two different like lab coat doctor mad scientists who yeah, yeah like they, they they build the robots but they need other people to to actually do the work and you know doc you know dr franks uh, <laughs> Damn it. I'm gonna franks. Bring it up. Damn. <laughs> same kind of dude like he has <laughs> from, you know, this is from darling in the franks i'm guessing this is from yeah the darling in the robot called franks it's a it's a classic <laughs> anime <laughs> yeah like he named the robot I mean, after himself the- but the you know he needs other people to do everything for him and then the interesting the- thing is with with uh, Ritzko um, is that she is one of two lab coat wearing scientist women, and the other is Yui Akari, who is dead by the beginning of the show, but is constantly present in flashbacks and in other ways that are spoilers. Did, did uh, which I just spoiled the show coat. that everyone's. Yes, she did too. The one who it, gave the uh, who gave the the three brains of their supercomputer. Yeah, I, I was wondering if if that was the case of her imitating. Um, her mum or imitating uh well i mean that's evangelion like everybody is fucked up by their parents yeah i mean (laughs) ritzko literally dyes her hair blonde with like horrible showing brown roots because she doesn't want to have the same hair color as her mother so there's Hmm. that's separate from the hakase thing is (laughs) is the like yeah the generational uh damage that's being passed from person to person but yeah so sorry to go on jeff like that's that's the original one it's just like the hyper-focused scientist um who's kind of isolated from the real world mm-hmm. and then Which it you could probably you could probably even go further back and have a look at even um tezka's work right because yeah, tezka's probably like, well blackjack Old is what i was nose. thinking of the yeah, yeah like the door I, I was, thinking, uh, I was the... thinking of the 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 fat guy with the big nose 
Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's sorry. Like, he's... <laughs> Forgot to watch Tina Tori. But no, even then he's the hacker say I think in like I said Blackjack and then also Metropolis as well. Yeah. Um, uh, but at one point same... does it stop imitating real world scientists and start being as as Jeff's kind of said this kind of like endlessly redigested trope of like I mean, the the brainy nerd because once we get to Steins Gate. And Nietzsche Joe, they're making fun of the trope because uh, uh, what's his name in Steinsgate is uh, an incompetent Vintero? idiot who doesn't. Yes, he's an incompetent idiot who does not know any science. Uh, and uh, ha- the Hakase from Nietzsche Joe is only funny because we know ho- how she's supposed to be, but it just takes that those tropes and puts them on a little kid who likes to eat <laughs> snacks and nap. I feel like like the, the 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 place where all this originates from is actually over in the west with dr frankenstein and like yeah. frankenstein yeah and the, <laughs> oh there has to be someone I can always count there? on jeff to laugh has... at my frank's references and like i think as as i think andy brought up like tezuka uh, obviously with metropolis has like a frankenstein kind of doctor there bringing life to this robot and for a while like, i think their role is just as the person who produces the MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. Who produces like the thing which this, this the magical thing which everyone's fighting over, or the the strange robot, or the magical elixir, whatever it is. And at some point, someone had had the idea. Well, what if they actually had something to them and weren't just like <laughs> the thing which created the thing? And I think Ritsuko is. Sorry? So no, I was just gonna say, stop becoming a side character and actually become the main character. Yeah, yeah. And and it yeah. seems like like the thing that you know that gets given to them is they're also tragically lonely and naive <laughs> and just wants the the main character to treat them like the main girl. Well, I not, don't, not no, always. I don't, I don't uh, agree with that at all. I mean, yeah, I think frequently that I, comes up quite often. Weirdly, yeah, but, no, I think most of them, like most of them are emotionally detached, but I don't think that means that they're lonely. Yeah, I mean, it, just... it can vary because I'm thinking of one of the ones that I don't know, I don't want to talk too much about because it, because we got someone who got mad at us about spoiling Full Metal Alchemist. So sorry, but like Hohenheim, uh, the uh, the 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 brother's father is very much a Hakase archetype, but he is so he is so alien and removed from from uh, reality that he can't even really like. They are they are always isolated in some way, but sometimes it's not isolation as loneliness; it's isolation as high functioning sociopathy or being so smart that they can't relate to people and they're fine with that because they think they're better than people or whatever's going on with the soul eater dude who i think is also a dr frank and something right andy yeah soul eater dude and then he's also locked away and is very much happy being alone um yeah yeah you're talking about the guy who makes this chimera right he's got like the bolts in his head and he's wearing a no i mean in full metal alchemist i know the guy you're talking about i can't remember the guy in uh, Full Metal Alchemist. I didn't no, know the Ed, Edward's dad. <laughs> no. It's been too long since you've watched Full Metal Alchemist. Is what I'm hearing. I, I didn't. I don't <laughs> think I got that far. I got to the bit with the commander. You stopped and... watching Full Metal. God damn it, Andy! Get it off was, this podcast. I, it, it's it's not. That, oh, he's gotten off his fucking podcast. Um, I it's I I didn't enjoy it. I just didn't enjoy the show. I want more kind of other say. Like it just it didn't do anything to me. Okay. Oh. Well, for those of us who have watched anime. Um, I mean, b- before we go off Film Metal Alchemist, in another show, do you think Ed 
would have been a hacker say if if like if you take away his 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 shonen protagonist bits i.e. the fighting he's an an alchemist is like as as like like the the Frankenstein trope it's creating life that's ha- that's the entire inciting incident of it. Well, I do, I do wonder, free. because if we do talk about Fullmetal Alchemist, Andy, you haven't watched this show, so you can't talk. Uh, <laughs> when you do talk about Fullmetal Alchemist, oftentimes the people who are who are trying to exert that level of control over science and reality are antagonists, or at the very least misguided. We can think of the the daughter dog fusion that comes out of that comes out of one of the early arcs or just the simple fact that all of the military alchemists wear white lab coat things for some reason and it's kind of just the more i think about the more that is kind of just a debased hakase trope here of having all these people who have the the power Mm -hmm. to control reality and they're just being used as weapons to fight each other like dumb shonen protagonists Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's we, we I mean, found found the 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 Hakase show. I guess <laughs> it, was, it was there all along. It, it, it obvious t- title. It's it's alchemist. How did we not notice this? Yeah, but uh, that's true. But I mean, more oftentimes, at least in shows from like the early two thousands onward, you see them much more as as comedy comic relief, like the the pedophile mm. doctor in Excel Saga, who like builds girl robots and like he has like a bunch of good reasons for why he's building girl robots but he actually just thinks that girls are cute and there's running jokes later on where um whenever they have to go find him to like fix one of the robots they have to drag him off of a playground where he's just sitting on a bench watching little girls yeah. play it's actually kind of fucking creepy um but yeah. that's excel yeah, saga excel yeah. saga doesn't give a shit <laughs> uh, a bit a bit <laughs> too true. real or there's a, the less awful version is the scientists the three scientists uh, the American scientists living in the bunker in Squid Girl, who all speak like terrible American accented Japanese, <laughs> and they haven't they haven't left the bunker for years. And Squid Girl convinces them to leave the bunker, and so they're like wearing their lab coats. But they have like swim trunks and flip flops on, and they're like hanging around the beach, um, playing Nintendo DS games because that was a, a timely thing when Squid Girl was made. Uh, <laughs> or they're just straight out villains like the the antagonist from the first Railgun season. Um, the sleepy candy loving lady who just wants to do science and doesn't understand that it's hurting people, um, which is not as common of a trope, at least with with like actual lab coated doctors as you would think in anime. I think it's incredibly common in Western media to have yeah. an amoral scientist be the bad guy, but I don't think as much. There's not as much of a mistrust of amoral, heartless science. Well, I think also the. I think maybe a lot more in shonen anime. Um, not that I can think of any off the top of my head, <laughs> but like, there's definitely been a few that I've like yeah. recognised. But they always end in the same way: of they realise their wrongs and then they help fight the creation that they've um, created in yeah. a way. Like as opposed to, I guess, them just not realising their ideals are wrong. Or in some cases, yeah, just sticking to their ideals, right, and then just destroying themselves. And and oh. very occasionally, the 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 author of the manga realizes that their scientist character is maybe drawing on a little too much of reality and apologizes and changes their name because that's what <laughs> happened in yeah uh, My Hero Academia with the was he a Hakase character? I have Technical? no idea what you're talking about. He was no. the uh, he was in the latest guy. manga. They named one of the doctors is is named after. Uh, a euphemism for the doctors who worked in like the human experiments in Manchuria during World War II. And oh, fun! Ch- yeah, we talked about it last podcast. But, but isn't there isn't there an American comic called The Manchurian Candidate, which is 
Yes, but that's that, not that is... the same thing at all. Right. Okay. So <laughs> no, it's no, just like no. I'm talking about like the uh, the unit uh, seven three one. I think uh, mm-hmm. ex- human experiments uh, that yeah they named after and they had to change it because like I think that there is just a discomfort of like yeah science being used for evil is very frequently someone doesn't really know the full consequences of their research or they are sheltered and aren't really told what's going on. It's very rare to have, say, I can't believe I'm citing Franks again, but yeah, like in Franks where he like, he knows that his research was bad and he's trying, like his character is trying to make up for it. uh, And he's like at the forefront of confronting the consequences of the Klaxosaurs and the Franks shit and blah, 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 blah. Franks, Franks, Franks. Yeah. That is how the show goes. Yeah, so, yeah, and then a, and then a giant robot bride walks down the aisle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, I know we were promised we weren't going to talk about airing anime this episode, but there <laughs> is a show this season called uh, "Science Fell in Love," so I tried to prove it, uh, which was just a piece of garbage that I picked up, and the and it's about a bunch of Hakusei characters of like various with like other various stereotypes like stamped on top of the of them. So there's like the like the the goth lolly one and the like weird two D loving American one and the whole gag of the show is that these two characters who are just like the, like the consummate like you know there's you know the handsome aloof you know glasses you know glowing glasses wearing scientist boy and the like improbably hot and sexy you know miniskirt wearing uh, Hakase lady who like in the first you know five minutes of the first episode say we're in love but how can we be sure and then the entire series is just them like concocting different science experiments them trying to figure out and prove objectively that they are in fact in love and this feels like like the opposite of kaguya-san love is war yeah, sort of thing <laughs> yeah just finding new and funny ways for people not to get together in romance anime <laughs> and yeah and this and this like the whole show is just like you know the ultimate divergence of like the the origins of the character trope of you know a character with a purpose you know that basically is just like a plot device for the rest of the show whereas like we're just going to remove all of the plot devices and just have these like lonely weirdos like interacting with each other you know for the purposes of comedy and it's 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 not a great show and i don't recommend it gonna anybody say, else yeah, i was gonna ask <laughs> but like it's, it's 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 weirdly watchable because it's also like very sort of it's very self-aware uh like the main character who's just like a normal grad student like that's another thing that's kind of refreshing is that everybody in the show is like a grad student in their mid-20s huh. which is just like kind of that cool is, that makes me 100 percent more interested i'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. sad that it's i'm that easy of an audience but yeah adults yeah, doing falling things. in love. <laughs> I, I imagine it means it can be way more sexualized. It's, I mean, it's it's surprisingly chaste. Like, like somebody on the production staff, at the very least, has a thing for ladies and stockings. But beyond that, it's like Who a doesn't? pretty chaste show. And yeah, I mean, that's that's most of anime. Fans. And and it, <laughs> they do a lot of good stuff where you know somebody remembers like you know the main character. Uh, who's kind of like like the audience surrogate? You know, she remembers you know, all of her experience with love is having like an unrequited crush on her teacher when she was in high school, and she like, every time she you know, she reminisces about it, it comes back and she's just like punching the wall out of just like <laughs> sheer shame and disgust at herself. Um, it's a it's 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 fun, and it's you know, and you know, it's it it fits in weirdly with this trope of that you know. You, you know it when you see it, but there's just no way to nail down, you know, 
exactly what it means at any given time. It's just, it seems like this like natural progression of this weird character trope. Yeah, I would, I would call it like, I think that the Hakusei does kind of tend towards the classic pornography definition of, you know, it when you see it. Yeah. They have a lab coat. People call them sensei or she, or have used the like she honorific or whatever. And they tend to have some sort of social dysfunction tying into their extreme intelligence. Yeah. I think like the the other thing which st- stood out in both the the ones which I I looked at was is they they're always sort of at a at a remove from the the rest of the the cast and sometimes at a remove from the rest of humanity like uh, Ben brought up Hohenheim as a as a good example of like char- like both of the characters I, I ended up picking to talk about are functionally immortal and like <laughs> this this idea that that someone becomes f- either through science or through accident completely um separated from the rest of humanity and that they acquire almost too much knowledge that 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 they know so much they lose the um set a sense of values and just become obsessed with achieving an aim or proving a point and the the two i picked were um uh, ryoko from uh Sinful gear which as i've pointed out before <laughs> is, is an incredibly silly um anime and her role in that is to be i'm the scientist making this this weird mecha song girls at, and at the same time i'm almost i'm also a reincarnated 5000 year old priestess and it's it's strange because like the entire first half of the anime, she's playing two roles: one on screen and one as a half reveal. But if you if you grok the character design, you know who it is. Right, is person in silhouette and sort of lips downwards. It's off, sc- off screen, so it's it's not asking why just if we can do something and i think she see the other way she she well it's i suppose it's simple gear to a certain extent in that that she breaks it is that she's quite sexualized she's uh wearing like a uh in a, in her priestess form she's wearing typical simple gear battle armor which is basically just like metal plates science fiction metal plates bra and panties which is very strange and weird. With whips, don't worry. Doesn't this one have like a weird sort of like midsection that's completely exposed because anime? yeah, of course, which, which okay. goes well, all well, the way well, down. Well pointed to out, Andy. Um, <laughs> yeah, stop stealing Duncan's points. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's never. It's, it's it's like strange for the the um, to combine like the um, emotionally uh, distant. Um, crazy scientist and like this um very uh with almost the, the, the same big boobed uh, uh dits trope which we were talking about earlier in in relation to um hestia uh, and like have that this character with multiple personalities is is how they choose to sort of subvert this rule but it's her hidden personality, which is the one which fits her role, and her her open personality, which doesn't. And 
the the other one which I like, well, my, probably my, my favourite is um, uh, Rita from uh, Rage of Bahamut, which is a mm. show which me and John both loved and had absolutely no right to be as good as it was being a <laughs> adaptation of a card game, a collectible card game. So this this is essentially the equivalent of a, a Magic the Gathering uh, anime and. Well, wasn't that the... also an offshoot of something else? Yeah, it's 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 got a, a gacha game as well, I think, Andy. So it's yeah, it's that's... it's it's got all all that good. The whole franchise money laundering that you yeah. come to know and love from mm. modern anime. But I think the thing I I realised about it while uh, thinking about this this character Rita is that essentially Bahamut the the dragon, which is like the central MacGuffin and foe of of the ho- ho- both se- series is essentially a, a fantasy Godzilla and th- that may seem seem odd obvious but going back to to Rita because I'm just rambling off about the series rather than about <laughs> the, the character it's okay is, it's easy to get caught up in such a wild show is that um Rita's sort of a, a, an interesting s- subversion on trope she's She's essentially the fantasy Hakusei. She is a detached from humanity because she's a zombie. Her, her, she experimented on her family and turned them and all her village into zombies, and lived in seclusion for two hundred years until being brought out of it by the the main character. After which, where she basically serves as provider of potion potions and MacGuffins and. If they need suddenly need okay, h- how can we take over this sh- this ship? Well, zombies. How are we going to cross this huge river? Uh, a tide of zombies, and it's it's this weird thing of her her her, her approach seems to be use zombies to uh, solve any problem, which is um, an interesting application of science slash alchemy, but nevertheless one which is quite um, endearing and she just like modern game design, am I right? <laughs> even even her uh, her love interest um Favreau, who's uh, one of the, t- the two main characters um at the end of the first season he gets his hand chopped off heroically saving the day and in the in the second season we find she zombified his hand and adopted it as a pet and it's given it a little sort of dungarees with a face drawn on it and it runs around her her lab helping her out and she's given it a name it's it's called rocky now and it's just this very strange thing that of course you'd you'd, you'd animate your your lover's hand and keep it as a pet of course why not that's not weird at all does she have two more named papery and scissory oh god I I do think that is what to play on on Jeff. So, <laughs> so you're not far off. So, but yeah, it's it's a strange thing that I think standing apart from the rest of the cast for whatever reason is is what tends to define the trope. But but maybe the the things you guys might have an example of is is the ones where the the hacker says is the one who has to bring the cast together. Are there any good examples of that? Well, funny you should say so. <laughs> uh, in Haganai, there is a... <laughs> what are you rolling your eyes at me for? You... Oh, I love Haganai. I just, I just forgot that 
I wouldn't even know about this show if it wasn't for Ben, so I don't yeah, know where know. he gets off, like, believe me, I've, groaning. Believe me, I've, I've looked back, I'm on my, regretted my I, I words thought you were gonna, I thought you were going to bring up Bunny Girl Senpai, but... Okay. Well, that was actually the other one that I've got on deck, but... Slightly more recent, I don't remember Hagenai's... Um... Hakusei it's characters. got the it's got one of the best ones. She's like kind of like a, a fake Hakase because she's just like a science nerd who likes boy love and robot love. Yeah, yeah, and she you know she she's introduced as like you know she's just she's a scientific genius and like and that plays out in the show you know anytime it's going to be funny that she has some kind of like mind bending you know experiment or invention that Wait, she who can are we push about? the okay i i need to i, I think her name is uh, sigma yeah she's just sort of like you know she's you know the whole show is about you know these seven or eight people who have no friends and spend all their time together complaining about how they how they have no friends meanwhile yeah you know, the show eventually gets to that but her role on the show is just as this you know, sort of like horny hanger on who is constantly trying to connive other people to, you know, to come together and eventually that comes to a head and, you know, the climax of the show is her using her, you know, magic sort of like flying magnetic beads to beat up the main character until he admits that he loves the the other, you know, main girl, you know, at the expense of her own, uh, of her own feelings naturally. And also sort of similar to uh, Futaba in uh, in Bunny Girl Senpai, who's like the, you know, she is the, you know, the main character sort of like support, you know, regardless of the fact that, you know, she has her own problems, she has her own feelings. And, you know, eventually you know, on that show as well, you know, she has some magical bullshit, you know, as the result of her, you know, of her of her loneliness and her, of her you know, self-sacrifice. Well, I don't think we have that much else to talk about. I've I've loosed all my shots. Um, there's plenty of like, oftentimes, thanks to the proliferation of Ray XPs, we often have scientist characters, usually women, but sometimes men, who are responsible for cloning them or raising them or some some sort of thing. We see that in Eureka Seven. We see that in Ergo Proxy with the character of Daedalus. But um, I don't know. I don't know. There's probably some I'm not thinking of. Like, I'm trying to think of anything in a trigger anime that's not Frank's. But, uh... Yeah, yeah, like, a lot of... Kill the Kill is a bunch of them. Actually, Kill the Kill uh, turns out to be a, a good example, because, of course, her, her dad is 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 initially no, shown as, like, this lab coat-wearing, bearded old man, and and that's just him hiding his identity. What he actually is is this, like, complete and utter uh, lech who just founds an organization called nudist beach and, <laughs> and as, as as you were saying about out the frank's doctor regrets his works and works to undo them and to re- reunite his family yeah um i mean we haven't talked about um steins gate because that is like you said an interesting thing where there is one character who knows nothing, who is the mad doctor, and then there's the actual scientist who knows everything, who's also the love interest and actually has real science chops, which is what I quite enjoyed about her character is that she yeah. was using, they use real, um, and I, I, I don't even know if this is worth the square, scare quotes of real, like actual real science to explain the time traveling shenanigans that goes on in that show. Um, 
which, if you play the visual novel, goes into real fucking depth for hours. Um, I don't know. I don't know whether people have many thoughts on uh, Rintoro Okabe. I mean, um, I, I already said my piece like a full <laughs> 15 minutes ago. Like, I do think it's interesting that he is a that he is entirely the trope of the Hakase without the actual knowledge or expertise, just the loneliness and weirdness. So, but like a lot of Hakase's, he's not lonely. He actually has like a close group of friends who really look up to him and respect him. Yeah. So it's it's actually Hag and I all along. <laughs> <laughs> Going round to the best show. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Well, let's go ahead and wrap that up then. Uh, Duncan, do you want to quickly roll up our next two or next three okay. uh, discussion topics and then we'll close it out? Let's do this. Ba 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 ba. Number 80. That is Kaiju. Hey. Oh, cool. Yeah, enthusiastic nice. about that one. Okay. Number two. Number 100. These are fairly rounded. Which is Magical Idols. <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to be sick in um in four months, four weeks. <laughs> and lastly, number 124. Well, uh, Otaku. Cool. Okay, so those, cool. Are, those are three big-ass ones. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> tune in over the next... Over the next several weeks, as we are going to discuss foundational tropes in anime, kaiju, <laughs> magical idols, and otakus. Uh, does that include? Uh, is that include Fujoshi, or are they a separate category? Uh, I'll leave that up to you. Okay, we'll decide <laughs> closer to the deadline. All right. So remember, rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Mm-hmm. Find us on Twitter at Keyframes Pod. Find us on Facebook. Search for Keyframes Podcast. Email us questions Keyframes Podcast at gmail dot com. And of course, tell a friend. But not, but you know, Ben, not just any friend. You got to tell that one friend who's uh, busy in his room, uh, just just going away at mad science shit, like Senku from Doctor Stone, who I also realised we've completely forgot to talk about. <laughs> I, I, the less we talk about Doctor Stone, the better. I feel like no more. Fucking the best show. Uh, anyway. Our worst fights. <laughs> All right. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye.